This will be the last week of our four-week series on communion and the Holy Eucharist. The first week we talked about uh, Mass as sacrifice and meal. The second, we talked about uh, the Mass as presence or communion as presence, transubstantiation. And then last week we talked about the effects of receiving Holy Communion. Well, this week, um, as the fourth and last week of Advent, be talking about something very boring. It's just who can receive communion and how do we dispose ourselves to receive a good communion. So I'll frame the question in this way. There's a big answer. Who can receive communion? Those who are already in communion with God and already in communion with his church. Those who are already in communion with God and who are already in communion with his church. Now that seems a little strange, right? We call it communion. Shouldn't it cause communion? And the answer to that is no. That holy communion, we say, increases or augments a communion that already exists. And there's this immediate question that comes to mind. Well, if Jesus truly is his body, blood, soul, divinity, you're telling me that that is Jesus Christ. Is not Jesus merciful? Is not Jesus the one who allows the hemorrhaging woman, for instance, who is hurting to come touch his garment and be healed? We would say, yes, this is Jesus. But we receive Jesus in a different way than when he acted during his earthly journey, his earthly sojourn. Because we receive Jesus sacrificed and risen from the dead. That while Christ walked the earth, he was what we call a sin bearer. He bore our sins. But then call to mind, though he allows those, for instance, like the hemorrhaging woman, to come and touch him and be healed, call to mind the first conversation, and it was an awkward one, that Jesus had with someone once he rose from the dead, because we received Jesus resurrected. Again, it was an awkward, you could even say maybe politically incorrect comment that Jesus said. Do not touch me, woman, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. What Jesus is doing here is that he's showing that his resurrected flesh is to be approached differently. So differently that right after that episode, what Jesus does is he goes to his apostles in the upper room and he says, Now, whose sins you forgive are forgiven whose sins you retain are retained. So that the way in which we approach the resurrected Christ is different from the way that those who knew Jesus before he died and was risen would approach him. We first approach him through the sacrament of confession if we are outside of a state of grace. And then after being brought into communion with him, that communion is increased or augmented 
from receiving him in Holy Communion. Now the practicals of that. What does that mean? That those who are already in communion with God and already in communion with this church can go and receive Holy Communion. It means that those in a state of mortal sin cannot receive Holy Communion. As St. Paul says, those in a state of sin receive uh, the body and blood of the Lord as if they were responsible for his body and blood. That is, for crucifying his body and blood. It is scandalous. It shows a communion that does not exist. Also, those who are kind of in a more permanent state in which that mortal sin cannot be absolved, perhaps those divorced and remarried outside of the church. But then, as well, those who are not in communion with his church, because Holy Communion is the sign, the full expression of communion with the Church of Christ. And so those outside of communion with the Church are then unable to receive Holy Communion. Those are like the hard, fast rules we know about receiving Holy Communion. Who can? But then I want to talk about more deeply the conditions of receiving a good communion. The conditions of receiving a good communion. And because the reality is that we still receive the resurrected Christ and that though a person can be in a state of grace, it does not mean that whenever he receives communion, it is very effective. I'll give you an example. St. Catherine of Siena says that whenever we come to receive communion, we all come with our own disposition. So what she gives as an example is say, imagine that you have a match. You light the match. This is Holy Communion, this little flaming torch. One person could bring one of these altar candles right here to that match. Another person could bring maybe a birthday candle to this match. And then a third person can go all the way back to the church and grab that Easter candle back there and bring that to that match. And the bigger the candle, St. Catherine of Siena says, the greater the hunger for the Eucharist. All receive of the same body of Christ. But the bigger candle, the greater hunger or disposition that we have to be in communion with Jesus causes now a greater communion with Jesus. It's interesting, though, for some historical context, that for a large portion of the church's history, the faithful did not often receive communion. In fact, the same Catherine of Siena experienced this miracle where she deeply desired to receive communion, but she did not, she was not able to. But whenever the priest fractioned the host, that a particle came off of the host and came miraculously to her. I bring that point up that for, the lar- for a great portion of the church, many of the faithful were not able to receive communion, is because only until the 20th century does Pope Pius X, the early, early, early 20th century, about 100 years ago, or less than that, 
now promote this idea of frequent and holy communion. But he says that in order to receive frequent and holy communion, that we must have, as he defines, an upright intention. And he defines the upright intention in this way. That he who approaches the holy table is not influenced by custom, by vanity, or by any human reason, but he desires to satisfy the good pleasure of God, to be more closely united to him by charity, and by means of this divine medicine to remedy his infirmities and defects. And he says that what this good desire is, is as a desire to acquire the strength to serve God better and to keep from sin. Now, he does make this clarification that what though, and we all know, it's very, you know, it's very common to receive communion, maybe if I'm not in a state of sin, to receive out of vanity. I don't want people to know that I'm not in a state of sin. And, of course, that is a big no-no. But what he's saying is that we should also, even if we are in a state of grace, not just receive out of vanity, but have the clear intention, the upright intention, that I'm going to please the Lord, and I'm going to draw strength from him for the healing of my own infirmities and weaknesses. Now, he does make this disclaimer that we none of us go with pure intention, but that if the weight of my intention is to draw strength from Christ in the Eucharist and to be healed of those infirmities and weaknesses and to just simply be in communion with him. And that if a little bit of vanity and custom kind of follows alongside with that, it does not mean that I should not go to communion. That that's just kind of a natural human experience. So, the question then is... How do we then dispose ourselves to have the bigger candle rather than the birthday candle? To have the Paschal one instead of the little wick? And I want to bring up three points that the author Gergou Lagrange brings up. They look like this. Removing sin, hunger for the Eucharist, and daily sacrifice. Removing sin, hunger, from the Euchar- hunger for the Eucharist, and daily sacrifice. I'll start with removing sin. That if we're going to hunger for the Eucharist, it means that we have to ask ourselves the question, well, how do I satisfy my day-to-day hunger? What do I regularly draw strength from? And that could be something as an inordinate attachment that we would normally call sin, right? So doesn't have to be necessarily a mortal sin, but it can be that I draw strength from just checking my phone all the time, or I draw strength from always watching the television. I draw strength from comparing myself to others. I draw strength from feeding on the day-to-day gossip. I draw strength from uh, perhaps um, like the, the earthly pleasures of, like, of lust or gluttony or something like that. This is where I draw strength from. Garagu says that we have to remove ourselves from those attachments. Because I'm feeding on that, I'm not able to feed on communion. 
believe it's St. Teresa of Avila says, who are you to say that you can fast so that you can drink the blood of Christ whenever before that you drink the blood of your neighbor through gossip and slander? That we remove ourselves from those things that we draw godly strength from. That the Eucharist should be this kind of motivating factor, this life-giving um, communion that we draw strength from, divine strength. The next thing that Garagu says is this, hunger consists in humility and reverence and desire to be in communion with Jesus Christ. Humility. That the very first thing you notice that we say in the liturgy before receiving communion, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Lord, I recognize that you are all things and I am no thing. That from you I will draw all strength. Reverence. Recognizing that I will receive the body and blood of the Lord. This is why throughout the history of the church there's always been more of a weight and tradition to receive um, Holy Communion on the tongue rather than on the hand. Not that one is more irreverent than the other, but there's something that's striking about receiving on the tongue. That I am fed directly from the hands of the priest uh, to receive. Now, while I'm on this note, I'm going to make a few um, I'm going to make a few pro tips about receiving uh, communion on the hand and on the tongue. First, if you're receiving on the hand, make sure to open your hands upwards, right? And certainly not to grab. Like there is a language of receiving Holy Communion, not taking communion. But to receive Holy Communion, um, and, and not in a way that's, um, you know, that's, that's curled or whatever, that's difficult for the priest to place the host, because sometimes then the host falls out. We wouldn't want to desecrate the body of the Lord. But to open our hands flatly to receive Holy Communion, the general instruction of the Roman Missal says that the custom of receiving Holy Communion on the hand is to present a throne to receive the King of Kings. I have more to say about receiving Communion on the tongue. And again, I encourage receiving Communion on the tongue. It has a, a, a special pious nature, I think, within uh, the tradition. But you can receive on the tongue badly, a lot of different ways. And there's a very easy way to fix this. And for those, you know, for those kids who want to know how to receive the tongue, take the one opportunity that you have in your life to stick your tongue out at a priest, okay? Um, but just down and out. Just stick your tongue down and stick your tongue out. Um, you know, it's hard to go into the coin slot. You know, um, it's hard whenever, you know, do like the lizard tongue, you know, that's, that's a hard thing. There's less surface area. It's, it ruins the rhythm of the person giving Holy Communion. It's weird. Obviously, not to lick, not to bite. Um, all of these things, they're not helpful. And, um, yeah, we want to keep this idea of receiving. And also... If you are tall, um, 
not to not to dip, not to duck. Um, I have a good reach, you know. Unless you're nine foot tall, I can't do it. We had a one focus missionary last year, um, James Sappington. He was six foot six, and he would receive communion like this, and I could reach it, no problem, you know. So. Yeah, not to, to duck, because then I'm definitely touching your tongue. It's a moving target. It's hard to hit. Um, and then, and then uh, not, to, not to bob and lean, you know? Like, don't, don't come at me. I can, I can reach. I have these wonderful things that God gave me called arms, you know? And I like to use them uh, for a lot of different things. So, um, and I can use them for giving Holy Communion as well. Now that I have my airing of grievances out of the way for, for the year um, in the spirit of Seinfeld. Um, the last thing that Gergu says, you know, imagine, again, we are receiving strength from strength to be in communion with Jesus Christ, and communion comes to us by the way of sacrifice. We don't have Holy Communion unless Jesus sacrifices his body. This is my body which will be given up for you. Jesus gives up his body, and so in order to have a more fervent communion with Jesus, then we need to be able to match that. That throughout our days, we are performing daily sacrifices in which we give up our own bodies. Once we are able to do that more and more, we add more wax to the candle. That Christ burns more brightly within us. So that whenever we receive Holy Communion, people can truly see Jesus living within us.